It's the Kim Munson Show, analyzing the most important stories. That seems to me like government is establishing a religion. The latest in politics and world affairs. If you give people rights, women's rights, gay rights, whatever, there can't be equal rights if there's special rights. Today's current opinions and ideas. Surveys show that that people still really prefer freedom versus force. Is it freedom or is it force? Let's have a conversation. Indeed, let's have a conversation and welcome to the Kim Munson Show. I am Kim Munson. Be sure and check out our website. That is Kim Munson, M O N S O N dot com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter. And you can email me at Kim at Kim Munson dot com as well. Thank you to each of you for listening. Each of you, you're valued, you're treasured. I love hearing from you and have had some pushback on some things uh, recently on a couple of things. And I do appreciate that as well, keeping me. Uh, keeping me looking at these things, searching for truth and clarity. My friends today, strive for excellence. Live with intention. Uh, you were made for this time, so take care of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your body. And I'd like to say thank you to this great team that I get to work with. That's producer Steve, Zach, Patty, Keith, and Charlie, and all the people here at Crawford Broadcasting. Happy Tuesday, uh, producer Steve. Uh, yeah, happy Tuesday. Hey, y'all, I was just thinking as you're opening up here, uh, the pushback, what does the voice say just before you come in? Let's have a conversation. Let's so this pushback, this exchange of ideas, you know, that's a good thing. It's a really, really good thing, and uh, I appreciate that. I also appreciate the words of support, uh, but we are going to have a conversation, and I, with you, will search for truth and clarity on all of these issues and uh, just one of the, the issues had been is that uh, one of our guests in one of the op-eds had said that he did not see any uh, real, real um, let's see, election integrity challenges. And, uh, and I'm paraphrasing a bit there. But I actually had an eyewitness on, on, I think it was the 15th, where what she saw was totally different than the narrative that's being pushed out there. And I realized that not everybody um, listens to the Kim Munson show all the time, and so therefore did not hear that. Today in segment three and four, we will be talking with John Eastman, who is a member of Trump's legal team. You will not want to miss that, because we'll be talking about election integrity with him at that time. So stay tuned for that. And uh, as you know, we brought America's Veterans Stories over to KLZ 560 and KLZ 100.7 FM at the beginning of the year. And this week will be, let's see, is this part one of uh, Don Whipple's or part two? I'm kind of losing track here. Uh, Part one was just uh, two days ago. Part two is coming. Okay. And so be sure and listen to that 3 to 4 p.m. on Sunday afternoon. We'll talk with Chris Cantwell with Transworld Business Advisors here in just a little bit. Uh, wondering what's going on with our small businesses. And he is in the uh, business of helping you buy and sell your business. And so we'll talk with him, Jason McBride at the bottom of the hour, and then John Eastman in segments three and four. We look at these issues, my friends, as freedom versus force, force versus freedom. If something is a good idea, you should not have to force people to do that. And it is never compassionate to take other people's stuff their rights, their property, their freedom, or their livelihood via force, whether it's with a weapon, policy, unpredictable and excessive taxation, or fear. 
All of those are ways that thieves can use to take other people's stuff. And if something's a good idea, then you don't need to have force to implement it. Our inspiration wisdom for today uh, is Marcus Aurelius. He was Roman emperor from 161 to 180 and a Stoic philosopher. He was the last of the rulers known as the Five Good Emperors and the last emperor of the Pax Romana, an age of relative peace and stability for the Roman Empire. He was born in 121. He died in 180. And this is what he said. When you arise in the morning, think of what a precious privilege it is to be alive, to breathe, to think, to enjoy, to love. I just thought that was pretty beautiful, Steve. Yeah, it is. And when I read it a little while ago, I was thinking, again, I, you know me. I, I'm on the my soapbox all the time about people being engaged in in this culture of ours and, and things in, in government, things that impact them every day, and they're totally unaware. And it can get to this point where they're not even, you know, they get up in the morning and they're not even thinking about what it is to be alive. They're just diving in, doing the routine, and again, clueless, I guess, is, and it's a shame because there are so many good things going on uh, in the world despite you know, what uh, you know, things that we talk about from here and here and now and uh, certainly what's on being covered by media, but just being alive is, is noteworthy. It is. It's a privilege. And that's why I say uh, each day we need to live with intention. And I, I think that sometimes in my life, I don't think that I have always lived with intention. And so that's why I remind you of that. But I'm also speaking to myself. A couple of headlines here. And the first one is, is the WHO, the World Health Organization, is uh, changing the CCP virus test criteria in an attempt to reduce false positives. Now, I'm going to connect a dot here for you. And that is, is, let's see, was it one week ago today that Joe Biden was inaugurated as president? And, of course, one of the things that has been going on is just scaring the living daylights out of people regarding this CCP virus and the, the numbers on the television, these death totals, these death totals. Well, now the WHO is acknowledging that there has been false positives. And where have they been this whole year? Lots of them. Yeah. How is it that all of the sudden, one week after Joe Biden is inaugurated as president, they're like, oh, we had a problem. So this must have been inflating our numbers. The numbers that we have been using, Democrat governors and mayors to shut down our businesses. Uh, you think of the carnage of small businesses, of, of what has occurred. And it really has looked like it has, is, there's been no compassion in it. And the fact that now they're saying there's false positives. And I look at all these businesses when I see four lease. Uh, a year ago at this time, our economy was booming. Uh, black unemployment, Hispanic unemployment, women's unemployment was at all-time lows. Uh, ownership in, in, among the black community, home ownership, was uh, at um, close to an all-time high, I think. And and all of this, we're realizing that all of this, in essence, is it was it, it was a lie. Some a lot of the stuff that they used was a lie. There is certainly the China virus. But there's also treatments to that. And remember, Steve, when the treatments came out, hydroxychloroquine, which has been on the market for over 60 years, and the fact that um, it seemed to be an effective treatment, and then you had the mainstream media 
that said it was not. And if you look at the numbers by country, uh, somebody brought the uh, this to my attention, and that is I need to actually I need to have Patty check that out. But they said in countries where there's been malaria, uh, and um, and and they've been using hydroxychloroquine for quite some time, their death numbers are significantly uh, lower than the U.S. And you know, one has to question the one other uh, headline that Patty had on here is that all of a sudden now um, these blue states and blue governors and blue mayors are now opening their economies back up. And one week, I mean, what a miracle. What a miracle that is, Steve. Well, I, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, a good friend sent me something yesterday via email, and I think it, uh, it's pretty much the same thing that's in the package here that uh, Patty gives us each and every day. Uh, it it goes in, it takes a real deep dive into the mechanics of this, um, the methodologies used by who and uh, you know, the trickling down from there. And when you read it all, I'll pass it to you later today. It makes a lot of sense. And by just changing some of the metrics, simply changing the metrics, you get a whole different set of uh, results. Now, the big question is. In these blue states, uh, blue gov- blue state governors, uh, blue city mayors, are we beyond doing stuff like that or not? Uh, I think that I actually think that we will find out. Uh, I recall when I had uh, talked to Sonia Riggs, who is the uh, executive, I think the president or chairman of uh, the Colorado Restaurant Association. She said one of their frustrations had been the fact that uh, Governor Polis. This was, gosh. 10 months into this, was still making his decisions on modeling instead of real data. Uh, And uh, one has to ask why they did that. Uh, We're going to go to break in a little bit. Before we do that, though, Chris Cantwell, who is a great partner of The Kim Munson Show, he is with Transworld Business Advisors. He helps people buy and sell their dreams. Uh, Chris Cantwell, welcome to the, the show. Good morning, Kim. How are you doing today? I'm good. Tell us, uh, what is happening in the small to mid-size business arena right now? Yeah, great question. And uh, the answer is a lot. And it's really good for both those people who are thinking about buying a business. Maybe you've been working for somebody else for quite some time. And you're thinking, man, if I could just uh, find a way to buy my own business and be my own boss and control my own destiny. Well, I'm telling you what, now is the time. With uh, all the incentives coming from the latest CARES Act and legislation, uh, there's some great benefits for people to purchase businesses right now. And, and the biggest one is really the SBA, the government, is going to pay your first six months principal and interest payments. And uh, they're going to pay for those once you acquire a business through an SBA-backed loan. So for the first six months, you will not be making any payments. And those payments are not deferred. The government is making those payments for you as part of an incentive for business and small businesses, more importantly, to be able to thrive and go on and for people to invest in businesses. So now is the time. You can put anywhere from 10 to 20% down and uh, purchase a business and get these benefits. And it's only going to last for a few months. So um, if you're even thinking about it, maybe reach out and, and talk with me and let me show you the opportunities that we have. And then for sellers, 
it's also a good time because we are going to have a flood of buyers in the market with these incentives and every business owner should have an exit plan whether it's in uh, six months six years or 20 years down the road you should always have an exit plan so if you want to talk with me and, and learn a little bit more about what it's going to look like someday when it comes time to exit your business feel free to reach out and um We'll talk about that. We have a full-service firm. We've got a commercial real estate department. So if you're a business owner and are having trouble with a landlord and need some consulting advice there, we can help. And uh, if you just want to know what the market's like and maybe what your business is worth, I can help with that too. And I, I don't charge for any consulting. I'm happy to talk with people at any time. Chris, uh, philosophically, I, I think you and I both struggle with government um giveaway. I know that this is in the CARES Act and and it is an opportunity. When there's an opportunity, people should take advantage of that. I have to tell you though, I'm so frustrated that it's been public policy that's put pressure on businesses and then it's the federal government that comes in and says, we're going to come in with free money. Uh, I know it's an opportunity on an individual level. I just struggle with that a little bit, Chris. Yeah, it does. And, you know, at the end of the day, sure, they are uh, spending this money now and there's incentives and, and it'll help people. At the end of the day, we're going to have to pay the piper and uh, that day might come sooner than we think and it's probably going to hurt. But uh, at the same time, business does need to go on. And yeah, you, you know, it's the government, right? So they're speaking from both sides. You know, you, mm-hmm. you evil business owners, we're going to force you to do X, Y, and Z and you got to pay your people this and give them all these benefits. And then uh, turn right around and go, hey, we're going to give you all this money to go out there and buy a business. So uh, it's the craziness of the world we live in and the craziness of this government that's gotten way out of control. But uh, there are times where they're going to offer you an advantage. And and, um, and then it's important really to take advantage of it. Yeah. Future growth. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, it okay. sure is. Yep. And last time we talked, you said that you had uh, a, a big portfolio of choices for people to take a look at. Is that still the case? Yeah, absolutely. We've got a couple hundred listings right now, and I can send you an Excel spreadsheet and, and show you some of the insights on some of these business opportunities that we have. And, and we've got businesses for sale from $50,000 to, I think we've got one that's in the 10 or $12 million range. Okay. So everything in between. Okay. Chris Cantwell, uh, there's always opportunity. And actually, when it's scary is when it's time to really take advantage of the opportunity. So how can people reach you? They can call me at 844-SELL-BIZ, B-I-Z, 844-SELL-BIZ, or find all my contact information on the KimMonson.com website. Well, Chris Cantwell, thank you so much. And again, you can get all that information on my website. We'll talk to you very soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Kim. Okay, we're going to go to break. And when we come back, uh, we'll go through some more headlines. Stay tuned. Karen Levine has over 30 years in the real estate industry. The reaction to the COVID-19 Wuhan virus is presenting unprecedented and unpredictable opportunities and challenges in buying or selling your home. That is why you need to work with award-winning realtor Karen Levine. Karen Levine comes highly recommended by Kim Munson. Call award-winning realtor Karen Levine today at 303-877-7516. Karen's expertise will help guide you through this crazy real estate market. Call Karen Levine at 303-877-7516 today. 
You'd like to get in touch with one of Kim Munson's sponsors, but you can't recall their phone number. Find a full list of advertising partners on Kim's website, kimmunson.com. That's Kim, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I am Kim Munson. Check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. That's easy for me to say this morning, M-O-N-S-O-N. And uh, you can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. Before we get into these other headlines, another great partner of mine is Hooters Restaurants. Here in the Front Range area, uh, they've got five locations, Westminster, Aurora, Loveland, Colorado Springs, and Lone Tree. Wednesdays are Wings Day, and that's for to-go or dine-in. You buy 20 wings, you get 10 for free. They have lunch specials every day. Uh, kids eat free promotion, happy hour, and just all kinds of uh, great specials there. So go to HootersColorado.com for more information. That's HootersColorado.com. And um, um, I, as I say, I really appreciate their partnership as well. The headline I wanted to hit next, Steve, was this was from a CPR, Colorado Public Radio, um, which I always have to ask, why is government paying for a radio station? But anyway, uh, I thought we were supposed to be free and, and not connected, right, Steve? But I digress, huh? <laughs> it's a classic, you know, conundrum, I guess. Why? Why? You might, but I guess the government wants to be in the radio business. I mean, how do you get your, your word out? <laughs> I don't know where that's in the Constitution. Yeah. Okay. This is from uh, Colorado Public Radio, and it says that uh, Polis is extremely concerned by RTD's leaders questioning of the Boulder train. And it says, residential and commercial development in and around Boulder Junction, if and when a commuter train ever comes to Boulder and Longmont, this would be the Boulder stop. Governor Jared Polis says RTD must follow through on its promise to build a rail line from Denver to Boulder and Longmont in spite of its budget issues. The train has to come. It was part of the 2004 ballot initiative, Polis says. And uh, Polis is a resident of Boulder, and he's extremely concerned by recent comments from the RTD's new top staffer questioning the wisdom of building a long-promised rail line from Denver to Boulder and Longmont. And basically, uh, the new CEO and general manager, Deborah Johnson, I told her Boulder Transportation Group, while we're fixated on rail because it's sexy and everyone wants to ride the ride, the iron horse, I'm going to stop right there. Uh, not everybody wants to ride the iron horse. In fact, on my way over, I saw two different RTD trains. One had three cars, one had two cars. And in all of those cars, there were two people in there. Uh, I did see a bus go around the corner, one of those big accordion buses, and there was two people on that bus. There were two people at the stop waiting. And uh, clearly, uh, not everybody wants to ride the right, the iron horse or everybody wants to ride the bus. And think about, think about the carbon footprint of what it costs to build those rail lines and to run empty trains up and down those, uh, those lines all the time, or these big empty RTD buses, uh, Steve. This, I mean, look at the the text of what Patty has sent us. You're only you're only in the first two paragraphs, and there's another at least ten paragraphs there to fill out the story. But look at what's being said here. He says we have to do this in spite of the budget issues that are that are only getting worse. And then he seems to be admonishing uh, RTD leadership. What's he, uh, what was the phrase? Uh, he's questioning the wisdom. 
What is the wisdom? Well, the wisdom is that they're hedging. They're saying, wait a minute, we've got some budgetary constraints here. And we know that, uh, you know, if you read further down, there was a deal struck with uh, Burlington Northern Santa Fe Railway to buy a section of track. That would have, you know, saved quite a bit of construction cost. Now, initially, it was supposed to be $565 million, but all of a sudden, they turned around and said, no, um, we're going to double that. It's, it's $1.5 billion now triple is the that. cost. Almost so, triple oh, oh, yeah, okay, thank you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's questioning their wisdom when they're at least trying to be prudent about it. But I vividly remember, now, Randall O'Toole is our guy for transportation. Did mm-hmm. he not say that the fare that you pay, you get on light rail somewhere down here in our neck of the woods on the south end of town, that fare basically only covers barely a third of the cost of providing that seat. Really, it's about 20%. Okay. And uh, and we realize, it, so the other part of this is made up through taking money from the federal government or sales tax. And as we've talked about it, sales taxes are regressive taxes because they hurt those the most who are trying to go uh, climb the economic ladder. One other thing that I wanted to just mention says, Polis referenced an outdated ridership estimate for the B-Line in his letter. Uh, and the estimate was 8,600 to 10,100 daily riders. And RTD's most recent estimate is about 4,100 riders. The other thing I want to just mention uh, regarding Wordsmith. When I was sitting on city council, there was a presentation made by RTD. And they were talking about boardings and riders. And I asked for clarification on that and they were actually counting each time somebody got on a bus or a train that was considered they called it borders and boardings and i'm wondering about riders are they in fact counting a rider twice are they counting the to and fro and uh so in in that way they're also inflating the ridership numbers are you following me on that steve does that make sense yes it does i'm I'm, my i guess my biggest problem with this whole article is the the governor's response to the whole issue and the way he's basically browbeating people to and ignoring the fact that they're trying to do the right thing and when he says we need to do this in spite of budget issues there's that money grows on trees thing again well, here and here, Polis, he's, uh, he's shut down the economy here. As we reported yesterday, uh, our unemployment here in Colorado has uh, climbed to above 8%. And again, this is because these this blue state governor and then, of course, the um, blue city governor or a mayor here in Denver. And, and actually, we have some city councils and mayors that are trying to stand up for their businesses but a lot of them are just very, very quiet and haven't done anything. But our economy used to be in the top 10 in the country, and it is now in the bottom nine. And here we have a governor that is questioning the wisdom of um, RTD's uh, director saying, we need to take a look at this from a budget standpoint. And uh, quite frankly, there were a lot of uh, things that weren't promised in 2004 that RTD did. And so they obviously had made a choice on something different. Uh, We're going to go to break here in just a minute. Before we do that, though, Jason McBride, Senior VP with Presidential Wealth Management. What's going on? Well, Kim, it kind of continues to be similar behavior in the markets. They continue to try to march higher a little bit at a time. 
yesterday, uh, we started off with uh, the Dow getting whacked over 300 points, but it fought its way all the way back and only lost about 30 at the end of the day. Uh, NASDAQ uh, gave away part of a much bigger gain, but still managed to uh, gain about 92. And there's, you know, some excitement because uh, we've got some big earnings coming out this week. Apple, uh, Tesla, uh, a couple other of the big names that all everyone's always talking about will be reporting earnings. And uh, that'll be, uh, you know, another moving experience for the market <laughs> one way or the other. You know, with these highs, Jason, it's, it's so difficult to buy low and sell high. Isn't it just a funny thing about human nature? But with the market at these highs, I, I'd recommend people sit down with you and possibly consider making some changes when things are so high. But it's just a really funny thing. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? Well, it is a, a funny thing, Kim, and it's also, you know, a funny thing that uh, the markets st- certainly seem high right now. Uh, the the problem always is, is we don't know if they're going to just keep going higher. Uh, it certainly seems like there's a lot of impetus for them to not go higher, but we've been in that situation before, and the markets sometimes uh, tend to defy gravity, so... <laughs> Uh, we, we have to accept that our crystal balls don't work and, and make decisions that seem prudent and reasonable. But, but I'm with you. It seems to me like prices are pretty darn high right now. So I'd, we're not giving investment advice, but I would uh, advise that people give you a call. Jason McBride, what's that phone number? Uh, easy way to get us, Kim. Give me a call, 303-694-1600. That's 303 694 1600. Jason, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a great show, Kim. And we'll be right back with John Eastman. Recently, rates in the mortgage market have hit near record lows. Lorne Levy with Polygon Financial notes that the COVID-19 Wuhan virus disruption has created potential opportunities to refinance your mortgage that could save you thousands of dollars. And for those senior listeners who may be looking for another source of income, exploring a reverse mortgage with Lorne Levy may be a solution. With over 17 years in the mortgage industry, Lorne Levy has the experience to answer your questions. Call Lorne Levy at 303-880-8881. That's 303-880-8881 for a mortgage checkup today. Now more than ever, it is important to have independent voices bringing truth and clarity to the issues facing us, our families, our communities, our state, our nation, and our world. The Kim Munson Show is one of those important voices. Kim is a truly independent entrepreneur. She purchases her broadcast time, which gives her total freedom in production of the show and scheduling of guests. If you'd like to support The Kim Munson Show, go to her website, KimMunson.com and click on the Contribute button under Kim's picture. Kim greatly appreciates your help and support. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. And you can email me at Kim at Kim Munson dot com as well. I am thrilled to have on the line with me John Eastman. He is the visiting professor of conservative thought and policy at CU Boulder. However, he's banned or canceled. I'm not exactly sure. We'll ask him about that. So he's he's on in his personal capacity. He's also a senior fellow at the Claremont Institute, and he's a member of Trump's legal team. John Eastman, welcome to the show. 
Thanks very much, Kim, for having me back on. Uh, let's begin with, uh, you are a member of Trump's legal team, and I've talked to a number of folks out there that are frustrated. We, they thought that something would ha- happen in the courts, and here we now have the inauguration of Joe Biden, and within not even a week, all these executive orders, uh, which doesn't put Americans first, um, what happened? Why why didn't we see something in the courts, John? Well, you know, you know, you, you hear the standard mantra from the left and increasingly from establishment Republicans as well that Trump's uh, legal claims have been considered by you know over ninety courts and all of them have rejected them. Um, that's just not true. Uh, the court decisions have almost entirely been uh, denied on various jurisdictional grounds, some rather laughable jurisdictional grounds, denying standing to people. Uh, there were cases filed before the election that were uh, held to be um, uh, not ripe, which means uh, you know on, on illegality by state election officials. That until we actually have the election, we can't tell whether they acted legally or not, so it's not right. And then after the election, when the case is refiled, they dismiss it on a, a doctrine called latches, saying you can't wait till after your guy loses and then bring the suit. Wow. <laughs> you know, the, wow. So not a single one of the cases actually ever looked at the merits uh, underlying it. There are, however, still several cases pending before the Supreme Court of the United States. Um, my case from Pennsylvania, where I'm representing the president, uh, claiming that the Pennsylvania Supreme Court in three different decisions violated state law uh, and state election law and changed the election rules on the eve of the election or in one case up to two, three weeks after the election when when only two heavily Democratic counties were still counting ballots. Um, you know, so these kind of things are not supposed to happen. Uh, Article two of the Constitution makes very clear that the manner for choosing presidential electors is assigned to the legislature. That means that state election officials and state judges don't get to change the rules. The legislature has to. So that's pending there, and we expect, uh, we hope, the Supreme Court will decide to review the case, even though the election's already been decided and the inauguration has occurred. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a doctrine in, in mootness jurisprudence that if, if the thing is capable of repetition and is normally going to come up in circumstances where just the litigation is going to be too quick for us to decide it properly, capable of of repetition yet evading review is an exception to mootness. And we hope the court will take advantage of that to clarify that non-legislative election officials and judges just don't get to change the rules of the game while the game is underway or even after it's over, uh, as we saw in Pennsylvania. So that's still pending there. Another case pending from Pennsylvania that had been filed way back in October with a request for emergency relief was the change, you know, the state Supreme Court altering the date that the legislature had set for returning absentee ballots, giving people the opportunity not just to have their absentee ballots counted if they came in late, but even to mail them after Election Day and still have them Astonishing. Counted. Yeah, anyway, the the Supreme Court refused to resolve that before the election, unfortunately. Um, But but the the broader merits petition is still pending, and and it's been relisted on the court conference three different times now. Um, And then there was another suit filed just last night in Georgia contesting the runoff election. Uh, the, uh, the runoff election, and of course, the runoff elections under Georgia law is a continuation of the November 3rd election. And so therefore, they're also contesting 
uh, you know, the, the illegal ballots that were cast on November 3rd and, and alleged that um, because of the number of illegal ballots, one of the two uh, Democrat Senate candidates shouldn't have even made a runoff because because the Republican David Perdue actually won a majority on November 3rd. So that's a very interesting case. It just got filed last night as well. And I think the important thing about all of this stuff is we, we need clarity from the Supreme Court of the United States about who has the authority to alter election laws and do they have the authority to do that on the eve of the election or even after the election. Because if they don't get that straightened out, we're going to have this kind of gamesmanship and battle of lawyers every election from here on in. And that, and that means the, the, the people are not actually deciding the direction of their government. But, but elected judges, partisan judges, and partisan elected officials in a number of these instances. And then the second thing we really need to do is have the state legislatures, particularly in the contested states, but I think in every state, uh, look carefully and conduct a full investigation with forensic analysis and the legislative investigative resources to actually get to the bottom of what went on here. The mantra that there's been no evidence of fraud is just patently false. Uh, the big question is how extensive was the fraud and how well orchestrated was it? Uh, and and are, should people be going to prison for, for electoral fraud, as has happened in a number of states already? Indictments were issued in Texas. We've got, we've got solid evidence of thousands of affidavits uh, of people in Wisconsin and Michigan and Georgia and Pennsylvania litigation uh, you know, swearing under penalty of perjury, uh, illegal conduct by election officials that they saw occur. Uh, and I think it's extremely important we get to the bottom of that so the American people can get some restored sense of faith in the electoral process. Because in a government grounded on consent of the governed, um, we elect our government under our authority, and it's under that authority that the government has the direction that sovereign people set out. And if the elections cannot be relied on, then we no longer control the direction of our government. It's that simple. John, uh, so it, it appears that there was... Uh, and you said that there's there's proof regarding this election fraud and the vote irregularities and all that. And, but yet Joe Biden was inaugurated as president. And I I'm struggling as a citizen if, in fact, he was inaugurated under I don't know what the word is. You're the attorney. But um that that he didn't really win because there was possible there was cheating can this be reversed or where are we at right now well you know i at, at this point i don't think it can be uh the, the the remedy the constitution sets out for removing a president is the impeachment power uh, and and by the way i mean you know there may well have been extensive fraud uh, that put Biden over the finish line, but he may well not have anything to do with it, which means he was not culpable for the fraud. <laughs> so there may have been others. And no. we, you know, in our system of government, we don't hold people uh, uh, culpable for for acts of others that they didn't have anything to do with. Um, it, it it really is a problem. But that's why I think we need to understand the nature of what went on here, and the the, the people that are now in a position to do that are the state legislatures. Uh, and, and it, you know, they, they were barred from doing that in December when it would have been timely 
Because in most of the contested states, there were Republican state legislatures who wanted to look at this to conduct serious investigations. But there were Democrat governors who refused them, refused to call them into special session. Or in the case of, uh, of, of Georgia, a, a, uh, a, a Republican governor who refused to call them into session. Um, and, and, and therefore, they, they were not able to conduct the investigation and make resolutions about the validity of their electors. But a number of these states um, had, had scores of legislators send letters to Vice President Pence saying, you know, we have looked at this enough uh, outside of formal session to determine that our electoral votes were fraudulently cast because of illegally, illegalities in the conduct of the election. We beg you for time, five to ten days, now that we're back in session, is all we need to be able to finish our investigations and to determine whether we can recertify those Biden electors or whether they are so so fraudulent um, that we either recert, we certify a different slate of electors or say that our, our electoral votes can't be counted because we can't tell the results of the election. That's what Vice President was asked to do on uh, January 6th at the Joint Session of Congress. And he refused. And I, I think, I think um, the American people, or certainly you know, 75 million uh, of the American people that voted for Trump, really want to have this investigation. And if at the end of the day, the investigation proves that whatever the fraud was, it was not significant enough to have altered the results of the election, then I think people would be comfortable with that. Or you know, disappointed, mm-hmm. but comfortable. Um, but if but if those investigations never occur, I think there's going to continue to be a level of angst in the country um, by, by the, you know, the significant number of people that think the election was stolen, uh, that, that, you know, the notion of unity <laughs> that, that the vice president, you know, said he you know, was asking for uh, in his in his uh, inaugural address is going to be impossible to achieve. Well, it seems that any virtuous um elected official would want to make sure that uh that the elections were fair and that they were just and that they were elected under honest an honest election and if there if there was nothing to hide it seems like uh, everybody would would be requesting that well, you know, I, I, and I said this early on, way back in December, that you would think Vice President Biden would want this full investigation to put to rest any of these concerns about illegality in the conduct of the election. But but those efforts were blocked at every turn. Um, subpoenas were, you know, fought tooth and nail that tried to get discovery of the ballots. Um, you know, there were ballots being shredded in Fulton County, uh, in Fulton County, uh, uh, Georgia. That's Atlanta. Um, there was a very clever lawyer up in Michigan. Um, they're trying to get access to the machines to determine. I mean, we, we know that there were votes flipped in Antrim County, Michigan. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and the Secretary of State of Michigan said, well, that was just a human error in inputting. Uh, but a very clever lawyer up there looked down ballot, and there was a close a close uh, a race for school board, and in in that particular county, and so he he filed an election challenge for, on the school board race. So this is way below the radar of everybody focusing on all the presidential race litigation, and 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 the local judge gave him 
discovery of the machines. And there's now been a forensic audit conducted of the machines. And that proved that what the Secretary of State said was a lie, that it wasn't human error, that the machine of software actually flipped the votes from Trump to Biden. They caught it and they got flipped back. Uh, but the, we now have that forensic report. <laughs> and, and, you know, uh, uh, but, but, but you would think then the election officials in the state would want to uh, review the other machines, but they've been fighting that to the nail as well. And the one thing we learned in the forensic report on Antrim is that somebody had, had, had gone into the machine and deleted the logs so it's impossible to determine when that float flip occurred and who did it. Um, I mean, that's a felony under both federal and state law. Mm-hmm. These are the kind of things that need to be investigated fully if uh, if we're ever going to get to the bottom of what happened here and regain some confidence in the validity of our elections. Okay. Hey, John Eastman, let's go to break and we'll continue the conversation. Before we do that, though, I want to uh, just acknowledge a great partner of mine, and that is Castlegate Knife and Tool. They are located right here in Sedalia, Colorado. They have knives from the best blade makers from throughout the world. So whether or not you're a collector or a sportsman or a chef, Castlegate Knife and Tool is the place for you. So go to castlegate.com for more information. That's castlegate.com. We will be right back with John Eastman. Predovich and Company understands that the COVID-19 Wuhan virus disruption has individuals and businesses scratching their heads with a variety of bookkeeping, tax planning, and accounting questions. Predovich and Company knows that you need trusted professionals to help you navigate these choppy waters. Kim Munson highly recommends Predovich and Company. Because of their advanced technological capabilities, Predovich and Company can help clients anywhere in the United States. Call Predovich and Company at 303-791-3000 to organize your personal and business finances. Call 303-791-3000 today. All of Kim's sponsors are an inclusive partnership with Kim and are not affiliated with or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. If you would like to support the work of the Kim Munson Show and grow your business, contact Kim at her website, KimMunson.com. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. And you can email me at Kim at Kim Munson dot com as well. And uh, certainly if you want to help partner with us to keep these independent voices going, you can go to my website and contribute because these are important conversations. On the line with me is John Eastman. He is the visiting professor of conservative thought and policy at CU. Uh, Although I don't know what the term is. Are you banned or canceled from that right now, John? Or what do you say when people ask you that? I was relieved from my duty of speaking publicly on their behalf. And so... Uh, they graciously have permitted me to speak on my own behalf as if I needed their permission for that. So I am not appearing as, in, in my capacity as visiting professor, of, a scholar of, of conservative thought and policy at the University of Colorado. I am appearing only in my own personal capacity. Okay. And you are also a senior fellow at Claremont Institute, as well as a member of Trump's legal team. Let's talk a little bit about January 6th. I had an eyewitness uh, that was on the show a few weeks ago, and you need to go back and look at that. That was, I think it was on Friday the 15th. I don't have the dates right here, but, but it's the second segment, and her eyewitness account is different from what uh, the mainstream media was saying happened at the event. But, John, you were there with the president. You spoke. So tell us about January 6th. 
Well, it was a, it was a very large and enthusiastic and peaceful and prayerful and singing and dancing crowd uh, of probably a half a million people. Although, mm-hmm. you know, some news accounts have said there were no more than 10,000 people there. I mean, that's just laughable. So we were in, in front of the White House on the ellipse, and it was jam-packed all the way over to the Jefferson Memorial, not just across the mall, but all the way to the Tidal Basin in front of the Jefferson Memorial, and then about halfway or three-quarters of the way up to the Lincoln Memorial, and a similar distance down, to, um, down to, toward the Capitol. And uh, uh, I spoke directly right immediately before the president, um, and I, I, I noted several things. I said one of the things that's confirmed uh, is that state and local election officials, as well as in some cases judicial officials, altered or ignored state election law. And that's in violation of the Constitution, as we were just talking about. Um, I also said that we have, you know, confirmed evidence of, norm, you know, the kind of normal election fraud. Dead people voting, I said. And then I said, uh, we also have this Antrim, Michigan audit, forensic audit of machines that shows the machines are capable of flipping votes. And then I had experts advise me that they saw the same thing they were able to discover in, in the forensic audit of the Antrim machine happening in live time the night before in the Georgia runoff election. So I think it's important to kind of get access to those machines and do a forensic audit there as well to determine uh, if, in fact, votes are changed uh, in, the, in the conduct of the election. Right now, it's a big black box, uh, uh, which people are banned from, from looking at because of various uh, confidentiality agreements that were signed by the secretaries of state when they acquired the Antrim, I mean, the, uh, the, the voting machines themselves. We really ought not to be running elections where a big component of how the votes are tallied is off limits for people to observe. <laughs> um, and in fact, in every, in every state, uh, the candidates have a right to observe every aspect of the, both, both the delivery of ballots and the counting and canvassing of ballots. So we really have to get to the bottom of this, it seems to me. Now, that, uh, you know, what happened later, uh, by the way, I say later, but what happened down at the Capitol two miles away actually began uh, before the president's speech even concluded. Uh, and there's Supreme Court case law on, on this. You know, you have First Amendment rights, but you don't have the First Amendment right to incite a crowd to imminent lawlessness. Uh, and they've got well-defined uh, definitions of what constitutes incitement and what constitutes imminent. And neither my speech nor the president's speech even get close to that. Um, the other thing we've got is evidence that for three days uh, before the events at the Capitol, uh, there was a paramilitary group, unclear what you know what side the political aisle is associated with, that had started planning for an incursion on the Capitol. We also know that for several days ahead of the event, Antifa was directing its members to show up and get Trump garb, MAGA garb, Make America Great Again garb, and pretend to be MAGA supporters and then cause as much trouble as possible. Uh, we've got we've got video evidence of one such individual who's, you know, who was actually inciting people at the Capitol to go in and burn this mother effing down. <laughs> this is our house. Now, that, mm-hmm. was, that was a BLM Antifa guy. It wasn't mm-hmm. a Trump supporter. Now, we've got all of that evidence. Uh, uh, we've got pictures of people that were leading the incursion into the Capitol who were participating in, in Antifa and BLM violent riots all last summer. 
you know, so now that, does that say that no, nobody that was there in support of Trump participated? No, I'm not saying that. Uh, but certainly uh, some of the instigators and the initial instigators of the event were, were most certainly not Trump supporters and, and encouraged and incited some of the Trump supporters to, to join in the effort. Um, to tie that back to my speech or to President Trump's speech, which talked about the evidence of illegality, is to basically try and shut down anybody from speaking about what went on in the November election. And I've been thinking about this. There's an old, you know, uh, uh, back in 1798, the Adams administration, the Federalists, passed the Alien and Sedition Acts aimed at, at criminalizing Jeffersonians who were critical of the government. Um, they, they made a major advance in that law over English uh, law of seditious libel, uh, which allowed truth as a defense. But we've gotten rid of that now. It, 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 what the left is doing here, and unfortunately too many establishment Republicans as well, is saying, you know, we can't tolerate listening to what you say, because if you're right and it is true, that's going to cause even more harm to the government. <laughs> Because, because if it's, uh, it, so, so it's the old English law, and the, and the language of the English common law of seditious libel was the greater the truth, the greater the libel. Because if you're if you're criticizing the government and, and claiming fraud or claiming corruption, and it turns out to be true, that's going to undermine faith in the government even more. And so it's even more important for us to shut down your speech. And I really think that that's what we're seeing uh, in reaction to the events of January 6th and, and, uh, and before. I'll, I'll shift gears and talk about the reaction from the University of Colorado faculty and administration. It did not begin with my speech on January 6th. It began, uh, they were looking for ways to remove me from my position because I dared file a brief in, in, in the Supreme Court on behalf of the, the President of the United States at his personal request. I was asked to, by the president to represent him in the litigation in the Supreme Court of the United States. My job title uh, and application, uh, you know, the announced job announcement says we're looking for people who are highly visible in either the scholarship or practice or both of conservative thought and policy. Well, you would think if, if I'm asked to represent the president of the United States on important national issues, that, that's pretty much fulfilling the job responsibility. <laughs> I can't imagine how it, I could be more highly visible than that. But, but because it was Trump, I mean, you can imagine if I had been asked by President Obama to represent him in the, in the Supreme Court of the United States. I mean, heaven's sakes, they'd be throwing ticker tape parades for me at the University of Colorado. So the, right. the highly partisan effort here is designed to shut down uh, opposing speech. But the very purpose of the Benson Center was to bring a counter viewpoint to the students at the University of Colorado so that they're not just getting fed one side of the, of, of the argument. Uh, but, you know, they can't tolerate that now because if, if in fact, what you're saying is true, um, boy, that just creates all sorts of problems that we can't, we can't, we can't brook. <laughs> Right. And and we'd have to ask ourselves if we are sending our kids to institutions and they are across the nation, uh, sending them to institutions that are not searching for truth, but instead are uh, shutting down voices. I think that maybe parents and donors uh, may start to think about uh, places to redirect their 
their funds. We've got about three minutes left. Uh, I did want to mention, you said that this uh, thing on January 6th down at the Capitol began while the president was still speaking. I found it very curious uh, that it actually started just about the time that the... um, challenge was happening regarding the Arizona votes. I thought that was just super, super curious. But I'm the last thing I want to ask you about is your conversation with Vice President Pence uh, when he um, made his decision. Was that a was that a constitutional decision or what what happened on that, John Eastman? Well, well, and, and I've got to say, it's, it's been completely distorted in a report based on anonymous sources that was published in The New York Times. Uh, they've accused me of uh, telling uh, Vice President Pence that he could simply declare President Trump reelected. Uh, that's not the case. There was there was a whole series of scholarship that's been done over the last 20 years um, uh, claiming that the vice president had the ability and only the vice president had the ability to determine whether electoral votes were regularly cast or not. Um, uh, uh, you know, and not surprising when the shoe was on the other foot, legal scholarship articles by a Yale uh, a person who, under the under the tutelage of two of the most prominent Yale professors, Bruce Ackerman and Akhil Lamar, argued that, in fact, historically, that was the understanding of the 12th Amendment. The only authority listed in the 12th Amendment that's in the active voice is the authority of the vice president. Uh, the, the, the joint session of Congress is merely to be there present when the votes are opened and counted. Um, but, 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 you know, so, and, and John Yu, my good friend John Yu, who's quoted in the New York Times article, uh, says that the vice president doesn't have that power. But in, in October, he published an article arguing that he does have that power. So I'm the one that tried to find a, a, a lesser ground. And and in and, and we had we had half a dozen letters from from numerous state legislatures um, arguing that our electoral votes were illegally cast because they were done after an election that was conducted in violation of our state election laws. Give us some time now that we're coming back into session. All we're asking for is five to ten days. Give us some time to review what happened in our states. And then, and then I'll let you know whether the slate of electors that are already there should be deemed valid or whether they are so fraudulent that we cannot deem them valid. That's all that the vice president was asked to do. And you can look at my speech on January 6th that says that very thing, and you can look at the president's speech on January 6th that says that very thing. Um, but he chose not to do that, which meant that they, he viewed – his job and the Congress's job as merely counting whatever electoral votes get certified and sent up there. And the example I've used in published writing since then, suppose one of the Democrat governors in a state that Trump clearly won, uh, say North Carolina or Kansas, uh, uh, certified the Democrat slate of electors contrary to the clear results of the election and sent them up. Would the vice president and Congress be obligated to count those electors merely because they had been certified by the Democrat governor of the state, even though everybody knows they were illegally certified. And if they had no authority, then that means there is no protection, and, and they really are just potted plants in that, in that constitutionally prescribed meeting of the joint session of Congress. I don't believe that's true, and I thought that it was certainly permissible for the vice president to delay things so we could get to the bottom of the validity of the slates of electors in Georgia and in Pennsylvania, in Michigan and Wisconsin, Arizona, Nevada, and New Mexico, where there had been counter slates of electors that were submitted uh, by the Republican electors as well. 
Oh, my gosh, John Eastman, we are out of time. But that is such an important point. And as you were talking about that, our founders would never have put something in place for people to be potted plants regarding their decisions. Everything had an intention in the Constitution. What's your final thought for our listeners right now, John Eastman? Well, for all the people upset with what happened at various universities uh, shutting down conservative thought, we are opening, expanding our litigation center at the Claremont Institute to deal with the counterculture as, as well as to continue to investigate election fraud. And people can go to Claremont.org and help us with that effort if they would like to redirect their, their philanthropy to someplace that's going to have more good than, uh, than higher education seems to provide these days. Oh, most definitely. John Eastman, I am so grateful to have you on the show. Thank you so much, and let's stay in touch. Thank you, Kim. Good luck. Take care. Okay. And our quote for today is from Marcus Aurelius. He said, there is but one thing of real value, to cultivate truth and justice and to live without anger in the midst of lying and unjust men. So my friends today, be grateful, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals and like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. You are not alone, my friends. God bless you and God bless America.